Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in St. John's Gospel, beginning there in the 12th chapter, beginning at the 44th verse. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believeth not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last days. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that this commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. And it is a beautiful morning, and I hope that we have rested well, that it is good for us to be here in God's house this morning to worship him. Today, as you know, is the first Sunday after Trinity. Last Sunday, we celebrated the last festival of the first festival half of the church year, which was Trinity Sunday. And now, until we come to the beginning of a new church year, we number the Sundays, one and two and so forth, after Trinity. The word of God that I just read, uh, these are words that Jesus spoke in the temple in Jerusalem on Tuesday of Holy Week. In fact, these are, as far as we know, the final words that he spoke on Tuesday night when he left the temple never to return to it again. So actually, these words are his farewell sermon that he preached in the temple before his death. And I'm sure that when we think of farewells and we think of last words, we say to ourselves, what did he have to say? What did he tell them? Well, in the temple that day, he was surrounded by quite a large group of individuals, some of them friendly, most of them were very hostile, and they were very bitter. We are told that he stood up before them, and he, again, he cried out aloud, and he said, I am come as a light into the world, that whosoever believeth in me should not abide in darkness. You and I may say, what did he mean? What was he saying? He was saying to them that day, I am come into this world as a light that anybody who trusts me shall not abide in the darkness of eternal death, in the darkness of eternal hell. In simple words, he was saying, I want you to know this, that I am that light that has come into the world. I am that light that a man must have in order to escape the eternal darkness of hell and punishment. I am that light that is an absolute must. I am that light that has come into the world that is an absolute necessity in order for a man to escape the eternal darkness of punishment. The man that rejects me shall not escape. He shall certainly spend an eternity in the darkness of hell. That's what he said. And today, as he speaks to you and me from the Word, in this final sermon that he delivered in the temple on Tuesday before his death, Jesus says to you and me, write this on your hearts. Don't ever forget it. Remember it as long as you live, that I am that light. I am the absolute essential light. 
I am that light that has come into the world that you must have if you are going to escape eternal death. If you reject me, it is certain death. You shall spend eternity eternally separated from me and from all that is good and from all that is kind. You and I may say, this is rather hard to believe. This is rather strong language that he is saying that I am the indispensable light that you must absolutely have me, that you must put your faith in me, you must trust in me in order to escape the eternal death and separation from God. And if you reject me, that it is certain you will not escape. Uh, We may say, that just can't be true. We must say to ourselves at times, don't we, he's just got to be kidding. Uh, Surely he didn't mean that. But he is the indispensable light that again he makes a difference between an eternity of darkness and an eternity of light that you've got to have him he is the indispensable light you and I may say he's just got to be kidding got to be fooling that doesn't sound like Jesus we may say you don't take him too seriously and sometimes we may say to ourselves to soften this thing uh, he's just got to be kidding it can't be true it can't be sincere Uh, and we begin to think of reasons we say who does he think he is anyhow who do you think he was do you think he was God that he could stand up there in the temple and say that I am the indispensable light if you don't have me and you reject me that again it means certain separation from God in the darkness of hell and you and I say who did he think he was anyhow was he God after all Uh, he was this Jesus wasn't he and we say uh, surely wasn't he given to exaggeration at times Uh, didn't he sometimes stress things that Oh, you, you take it all right, but really, uh, he just didn't mean it. He was sort of kidding. Uh, you take some things that he said with a grain of salt. It's rather strange, isn't it, how we tone him down and we say, Sweet Jesus, now you didn't really mean that. Uh, you, who do you think you are? Uh, you've got to be kidding that you are the indispensable light that we've got to have you in order to escape eternal darkness. And if we reject you, that it means certain, absolute, eternal darkness separated from the love of God. And we say, oh, this just can't be true. But Jesus, that day in the temple, in his farewell sermon, he assured them that it is true. And this morning, when Christ says, I am that light that came into the world, I am that indispensable light, I am that absolute must light, that in order to escape hell, you've got to have me and believe in me and trust in me, because he said, I'll assure you that that's true. I'm not kidding. I am not fooling you. And we may say, do we have the assurance that he wasn't kidding, that he really was sincere, that you don't take some of these things that he says with a grain of salt and others, the things that you like, you take, but these things, when he makes a statement like that, that you say, no, I don't have to believe that. It just can't be true. Uh, He certainly has to be kidding. But Jesus would remind you and me, I'm not kidding you. I am telling you the truth because in the first place he assures us that he was no less than God himself, God who was the only one who was eligible and who was qualified to deliver us from the darkness of eternal hell. We say, oh, he's got to be kidding. Uh, Sweet Jesus, 
Uh, oh, he certainly wasn't that way. Do you mean to say that he is the absolute necessity, the absolute light? He, he just can't mean it. Surely uh, this isn't true. He isn't sincere. But when he spoke these last words, you talk about was he God? Some people say, where did he ever say he was God? When he preached that final sermon in the uh, temple there at Jerusalem, he said, if you believe in me, you not only believe in me, but you believe in him that sent me. In other words, you believe in my Father. He sent me. I am the Son. And then he also told them, if you've seen me, you have seen the one that sent me. In other words, if you've seen me, you've seen God. I am God. He made no bones about it. And he also says, my word shall judge you. And the Father has given me this word of authority that I am come for salvation. He again spoke as one who was saying, don't look at me as poor Jesus of Nazareth. Look at me as God's son. I am God's son in human flesh. And therefore, he was telling them, I am the one that is eligible and the only one who was eligible again and big enough to deliver you from eternal death. And you and I look at him and we say, because he was God and because he proved it, we look at his miracles that he performed. Yes, he not only turned water into wine, he stilled the temples, he healed the lame and the halt and the blind, he healed the lepers, he raised the dead. What was the idea? To show again the world that he wasn't kidding, that he was no less than God, the second person of the Trinity, that he had come into the world to deliver the world from eternal death, and that he was big enough as God of more value than the human race, and that he was big enough because he was sinless to take upon himself this task of delivering us from eternal darkness. But we may say to ourselves, you mean that I've got to have him, that he is the indispensable light? But some of us may say, why can't I save myself? Well, a lot of people try it. Maybe some of us are trying this thing. Maybe we don't believe that we're sinners. We don't believe that we've done wrong. Is there anybody within the sound of my voice who is going to stand up and say, I'm perfect, I've never sinned? What is sin but rebellion against God? God says that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. And we stand before God lost and condemned and we may say, why can't I save myself? God says, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. If you and I are going to be our own Savior and we feel we don't need him, then we've got to say to God, God, I've never thought an evil thought. I've never spoken an evil word in all my life. I've never done an evil deed as long as I've lived. I've never left undone a deed of mercy that I might have done. And you and I would be crazy to ever sell that to God. And that would only, if we could say that, that would only take away our guilt. But how about the punishment of our sins? What do you and I have in life that we could give God in exchange for deliverance from eternal death and the eternal darkness of hell? What in the world do you have or do I have? A few pittances, a few works that we think are pretty nice when the Word of God says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. You haven't got anything to offer him, nor have I. Jesus said, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We have nothing to give. And therefore we stand before the just God. It means that we need a Savior. We need somebody again who was big enough, who could pay that debt. And Jesus says, I was the only eligible one. I am no less than God, and therefore I was the one big enough that I could take that debt on myself and that I could pay it in full. And therefore, he wasn't kidding on that Tuesday. Oh, again, he was saying to the world, I am that light that has come into the world. Don't forget it. I am that indispensable light. And in order to escape the darkness of eternal death, you've got to have me. You've got to believe in me. You've got to trust me. And therefore, again, he is speaking the truth because to reject him means this, that we repudiate God's Son. 
that God sent into the world to become a human being in order to be our Savior. Sometimes we may say to ourselves, well, to reject Jesus Christ, that isn't so serious. After all, he really didn't. He had to be kidding when he said that he was the indispensable light and that a man had to have him in order to be saved and to be delivered from the eternal darkness. We may say, this is sort of hyperbole. Uh, he was giving to vaunting himself. Uh, oh, he liked to brag a little bit, sweet Jesus. Uh, there was no harm in him. You take this with sort of a grain of salt. But when you and I in our lives, we turn and we reject him and he says, bear this in mind, I am the absolute light that in order to escape eternal death, you've got to have me. He means just that. And that means that when we reject him, we slap him in the face and we say, why, you're coming into the world as God's son. The incarnation that you came into the world and became a human being, born of the Virgin Mary, that God planned your coming for 4,000 years, nothing but a bunch of hogwash, it's irrelevant, it wasn't necessary, and yet, if it wasn't necessary, why the Old Testament? Why did God shape the destiny of the world for 4,000 years from Adam till Jesus came if it wasn't necessary for Jesus Christ to come into the world and to be our Savior? He wasn't kidding that day on Tuesday, but of course, they just couldn't believe him. Little sweet Jesus, uh, this couldn't do that. Today, Christ says to you and me, I am that light that came into the world. Makes no bones about it. it. says, I am that light, I am that indispensable light, that if you want to escape eternal darkness, if you want to escape eternal damnation, you've got to have me. When you reject me, it is certain eternal death. You know, I say, that's got teeth in it, but oh, he, he couldn't have meant that. Surely he was only kidding. Now, that isn't the kind of Jesus that you and I want to have. But this was his farewell sermon that Tuesday afternoon in the temple. And he assures you and me, we say, I just can't believe it. He said, but it's true. Because in the second place, Christ reminds you and me and assures us he was no less than God himself. God, again, who came and delivered us from the eternal darkness of hell and provided for us the eternal light of heaven. We say, you've got to be kidding, Jesus. You don't mean to say you are that light that came into the world. You are that indispensable light, that must light that I've got to have, that I've got to believe and trust, that I've got to embrace you, and if I don't, that I am eternal lost, that if I reject you, that it is certain eternal banishment from God and from heaven. We, we say, oh, and you've got to be fooling Jesus. You, it just can't be true. And Christ says, I am God. He was God. And he says, I am God who alone was able to provide deliverance from eternal death and eternal damnation. Have you and I ever stood at Calvary? Isaiah 700 years before he came told us what it meant that he was bearing our griefs and carried our sorrows. You don't understand the cross until you and I stand there and we say there was our substitute. Here was God himself there and taking upon him our guilt and our punishment. It was the only way. And because he did, there was darkness. Remember on Good Friday from 12 o'clock till 3? And in that darkness, remember when he cried out in his mother tongue, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken of God. He was cut off from God. What is hell? What is eternal darkness to be cut off forever from the love and mercy of God? It was on the cross in that darkness that God's Son for you and me and our stead, when he paid the bill in full, 
There was only one way to atone, and that was to meet the justice of God and to pay it by burying the equal of an eternity in hell for you and me. That's what he did on Calvary, and you don't understand it unless you understand that. And in that great sacrifice on Calvary, he merited a robe of righteousness because of that tremendous sacrifice which God accepted and verified by his resurrection, thus showing also that he was true God and that again there is a robe of righteousness that Christ has merited for you and me that admits us to the light of heaven. You and I can't do that ourselves. This is why in the temple on Tuesday in his farewell sermon he pulled no punches. He just stood up before them. These were his last words. He never went back. And he told them, I am that light that came into the world. That whosoever believes me should not abide in darkness, but the man that rejects me, he shall abide in darkness. He was laying it on the line. And he was telling them, and again, they didn't want to believe in you and I say, it just can't be true. He, he's got to be kidding that he is so vital, that he is such a necessary light. When you and I reject him, what does it mean? It means to slap him in the face and to tell him, why didn't you stay home in heaven? Why did you ever come and die on the cross? You didn't have to die on the cross for me. You didn't have to bear hell and damnation for me. I can do it myself. When you and I stand and repudiate Calvary, we make it hogwash. We say to ourselves, it wasn't necessary. This was something irrelevant. When we forget that message and we repudiate him, he is saying in no uncertain, when you reject me and my cross, I want you to know this. That you shall not escape, you are doomed. When death comes, you are damned, and I mean business, and I'm speaking the truth. This is what he was talking about. But you know, we, we said, well, it just can't be true. He, he's got to be kidding. Uh, this has got teeth in it. This is what he said, though, on Tuesday afternoon of Holy Week when he was leaving God's temple for the last time. This was his message. We say to ourselves, he is the indispensable light, yes. Jesus said, it's true, I am God. And you and I say, who did he think he was? This little Jesus of Nazareth spoke speaking like that. I am that light that came into the world. He knew who he was. He knew what was coming. He knew what Calvary meant. And he knew what it meant to reject him. And he also assured us, he said, this thing is true. And we say, you've got to be kidding, Jesus. Uh, we, we take it with a grain of salt. What we like about you, we believe. And what we don't like, we just sort of pass over. You just didn't mean that. You're such a sweet saccharine, Jesus. And oh, again, uh, you're, you're just good for me because you make me feel good. But that isn't the way he preached that final sermon. When he stood there in the temple, he said, I am that light that came into the world. I am the indispensable light. If you want to escape hell, you're going to have to believe in me. And if you reject me, there is certain death. There is no other way. This is true. And he assures us because he also is assured us that he was no less than God himself who is coming back for judgment. Oh, that day when he was preaching, he said, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world. And that's why he came the first time. He was telling them that I, I didn't come to judge you. I'm simply telling you that I am the indispensable light. You don't believe it. And you think that I'm crazy. And you think that I'm simply blown off steam. And you think that I'm giving you some hot air. But I want you to know that I'm not kidding. I'm not fooling. I am that light. 
But he says, in the day of judgment, he says, my word will judge you. He says, I'm coming back. And he who is God, we know he was God. He raised himself from the dead and on ascension day went up to heaven. The angel said he's coming back and he would remind you and me that he is God. He's coming back to judge the world. And he said, every man shall be judged. My word shall judge him. What did you do with me? What will be the basis of judgment when he comes? He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not everlasting life. It's just like that. Oh, yes, again, there's just no equivocation. There's just no bones about it. It's just like that. If you put your faith and trust in me, you'll stand in the day of judgment. But if you have rejected me, you shall be damned. Jesus says, I am God. I'm not kidding. I'm not fooling. I mean what I say, even though I look like just a small little Jew, the stranger from Galilee in the temple at Jerusalem that way. And again, he is the indispensable one because repudiation of him means simply this. That on the day of judgment means that we have repudiated him who's got the final word in your life and mine. There will be no appeals when we stand before him. Jesus said, I will judge every man and I will be the one that will determine and decide the eternal destiny of every human being. We won't be able to say, no, Lord, you can't do that to me. You can't treat me that way. In that final sermon in the temple, he simply stood and he cried it aloud. And today he says to you and me, write it on your hearts. I'm not kidding. I'm not fooling. I want you to know this, that I am that light, that absolute must light, that in order to escape eternal death, you have got to have me. You and I then today, we ought to write it on our hearts, oughtn't we? And if we write this on our hearts, say, you know, he wasn't kidding. He wasn't fooling. Then we ought to determine to say, I'm going to stop making myself think that he didn't mean what he said, that he, he wasn't sincere. It's a great sport, isn't it, today to just politely brush him off, you know, that, oh, he, he probably had uh, some kind of an upset mind at times. Um, he was probably uh, given to, again, to uh, overstatement, to exaggeration, to hyperbole. And he had enthusiasm, but he just didn't mean this. Surely he had to be kidding that he was that one essential light that a man had to have. Uh, was he kidding or was he not? You know, sometimes we, we like to write him off with a grain of salt. Little cum grano salus, isn't that right? And uh, sort of one that's sort of good for our diabetes because we like sugar and we like a sugary Jesus. And yet he says, in this farewell sermon, don't forget I am that light. I am that light. And how about the church today? Church is saying what? How about, is the church forgetting that there's teeth in what he says? I wonder, we look at our world, we talk about sin, and we say, look what's happening in the world. And when you and I listen to the radio and we pick up our papers and say, oh God, what's coming next? In the turmoil, we say, does sin bring punishment? When a man sins, isn't there any justice? Isn't a man going to be accountable for what he has done and what he has said? And, and you and I cry out for a day of judgment. And yet it's strange in the church we've sometimes forgotten this message, that there's some teeth in it. You and I say, well, it's nice to go and hear his word. It's just as nice to stay home. A sweet Jesus, it's perfectly all right with him. 
I wonder if the time won't come that we're going to say to ourselves, oh, they thought he was just pushing a lot of hot air and he didn't mean it, he was just kidding them. I wonder if the time is going to come and say, the most important message in all the world is what you hear in church on Sunday when we assemble ourselves. God's word. More than the assemblies of governments, he just wasn't kidding. But we like to write him off, don't we? And we like to be polite. And we're like, he, he just didn't mean it. He was sort of a neurotic at times. And you, sweet little Jesus, you don't take him at his word. We say, is there a hell? Is there eternal punishment? Well, if there isn't any hell, oh, then he certainly made a tremendous mistake in coming into the world. He said the message that the Father gave him was man's salvation. This is the message of the church. And yet we, we write it off. Don't we? we feel, oh, it doesn't mean much. And look at the world, what's wrong? The world's playing him for a sucker. Christ says, I am that light, and the world says, oh, forget it. You, Jesus of now, you don't mean it, and we're going headlong. And we say, oh, God, what's the answer? Are we just making a fool out of him? How about it? Is there a hell? Is he the Christ? How about it? I remember in my neighborhood when I was a kid, a family moved in, and the father and mother were very educated. They had three children. Their plan was to educate their children not to believe in God. They were to be self-sufficient. And I recall playing with them. There were two daughters and a son. And playing with them, and they delighted in saying, there isn't any God. And, uh, after all, you don't want to believe in a God. There's nothing to this whole business. And the parents with a smile would tell us kids. And I remember one day coming back to my mother and I said, you know, it's rather strange. Those three kids don't believe in God. They don't believe in Jesus Christ. They don't believe in them. Remember my mother saying to me, listen, son. She said, if there's nothing to it, let's assume there isn't anything to it, that the whole thing's a dream. Have we lost anything when we have embraced him and when we have lived as Christians? And of course the answer is, what have we lost? Is there something that you and I are missing when we embrace Christ and we try to live in keeping with his will? Have we lost something? And I think you and I would say, I haven't missed a thing. There has been peace of conscience and peace of heart. My mother said, you haven't lost anything, have you, if there's nothing to it. But if there is something to it, I remember her saying, then look what we've gained and look what happens to those who have rejected him. If there is something to it. But he stood up there in the temple that day. He was either crazy or he was telling the truth. But he was calling that straight from the shoulder. I am that light that has come into the world. And he says, I am that absolute light. Unless you believe in me, you're going to be damned. You reject me, and you're going to be damned. And when you and I take him seriously, and he wasn't kidding, he wasn't fooling. He was God. Then we say to ourselves, I'm going to stop playing the fool myself. I'm going to stop playing the kidding with him. When in your life and mine we start to take him seriously, things begin to change, don't they? Well, then it does matter whether we hear his word. It does matter how you and I live. It does matter how we feel about him. It does matter what kind of an approach you and I have to death and to eternity. It ought to mean this then in your lives and mine that we're going to stop giving excuses for uh, brushing him off. 
Oh, we like to find excuses when we hear something like this. We say, how could he say that that day? He is that light that came into the world. How in the world could he do it? And we like to give excuses why, again, uh, we fail to come into contact with him and to come again and to reconcile ourselves with him and to meet him as we ought to as, again, that indispensable light that you and I need unless we expect to be damned. And uh, we like a lot of excuses, and I suppose the one that we hear the most is, how about the heathen? We, we sort of get comfort in the heathen, don't we say, well, surely, what's he going to do about the man who's never heard about Christ? He surely wouldn't damn him. And then somehow we say, well, even though I reject him, then he's going to show mercy and love. Dear little sugary sweet Jesus, he's going to show mercy and love to me. What about this heathen, this man that lives and dies without Christ? What does the Word of God say? Does the word of God say that the man who has never heard about Christ that he's saved? It does not. Does the word of God say that the man that has never heard about Christ is lost? It does not. God says, that's my business. You let me take care of that person. What God's going to do with the man who has lived and died and never had the opportunity, I don't know. I know what he might do. He could because he's omniscient. He could say, what would this man have done had he heard the gospel? I don't know. But it's nothing again to say that I can stand and I can slap him in the face that I'm going to get away with it because the heathen's going to get away with something. You and I don't know. It means a respect for the word of God. And it ought to mean this then, that this was ourselves then. This is my day of grace. This is my opportunity to reckon with him. To put my faith and trust in him as that light. If I expect to spend eternity in heaven and not in the eternal darkness of hell, he just wasn't kidding. We say to ourselves, why is the world still standing? Why do you and I still have life? This is our day of grace, isn't it? This is the day when again God has given you and me the opportunity to reckon with Jesus Christ. We say, I've got a plan and a mission in life, but for every plan and mission, remember, first and foremost, Jesus says, I want you to be saved. I want you to embrace me. I want you to repent of your sins. And I want you to put your faith and confidence in me as your personal Savior that you do not have eternal hell to face at death. This is the first and the prime thing. That's why you're alive and that's why I'm alive. That we may have the joy and the assurance that when we face death that we are not afraid. I'll never forget as long as I live I was in a hospital in the strange city one day and the door was closed on a certain door. And I stood there in the hall and if you've ever heard some shrieks, I was hearing them. And from that door, again, there came this sound of a woman. I don't want to die! I don't want to die! I'm afraid to die! Help me, please! I'm afraid to die! And I listened and I listened and it was a blood-tingling thing and I said to one of the nurses, no, what's wrong? She said, that's the way that woman lived. She lived without Christ and now she's dying. And she's frantic. You know, it's hell to die without him. To cry out, isn't it? It's hell to do that. But when you and I face death, when we have reckoned with him, the assurance that, again, there is no eternity of hell awaiting us. And then when the tears come, and they come in your life and mine, the joy and the assurance that with the tears and all the misfortunes of life, the light of heaven shines more brightly than ever. And it always looks wonderful, doesn't it? The light of heaven, all light looks nicer when you see it through a tear. Jesus left that afternoon. They were playing him for a fool. They, he just couldn't mean it. He just couldn't. When he left that temple, they told the disciples, he said, well, that again, 
This temple would be destroyed. It knew not its day of visitation, and this was about the year 33 and the year 70. Titus came to know, and he destroyed that temple. And you know that here it is 2000, almost the year 2000, there still isn't a temple. All that's left is the wailing wall. His own people said, you're kidding. He wasn't kidding. The temple is down and it's gone. And all they have is a wailing wall, the remnant of a temple that's the wall of hopelessness. What have you and I got in our life? Is that simply only a wailing wall? A wall of hopelessness. It was his last term. And they played him for a fool. But he, he wasn't kidding. Behold a stranger at the door. He gently knocks, has knocked before, has waited long, is waiting still. You take no other friend so ill. And will he prove a friend indeed? He will the very friend you need. The friend of sinners, yes, to see, with garments dyed on Calvary. Admit him, lest his anger burn. And he departing now return, admit him, are the hours of hand. The laddie's door rejected. I like the Christ of that Tuesday afternoon because as a minister of his, I know people say it's easy to stand up there and push wind. It's easy to get up there and blow a lot of unessential truths. But I want you to know this, that the greatest truthful message in all the world is this. I am come a light into the world. Let's not make fun of it. He just ain't kidding. He just ain't kidding. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.